morning, beautiful people. How are we doing this Wednesday? I'm your guest host today for Wake and Take, Matt Babich. Thank you for joining me. I am once again pre-recording. Unfortunately, my schedule prohibits me from doing any of these fill-ins live, but happy to be back here giving you the morning news, the morning Wake and Take. Listen, these, these news stories break the night before. It's always the night before. So look, I know I can't be there live, but I'm going to be there in the chat with you this morning. Best believe. Let's kick it off. There's a lot of news breaking left and right. A lot of it got covered in a lot of our other daily programs, but I wanted to highlight a, a news story coming out of Arizona. Possible quarterback controversy as head coach Jonathan Gannon has yet to declare a starting quarterback for week one in Arizona. Is it Colt McCoy who has been taking almost all of the first team snaps in the preseason? Or will it be Clayton Toon who is the late round rookie out of Houston? Now it may be, may sound like an easy decision, right? Colt McCoy is the established veteran. He's the incumbent. He knows the offense. He's familiar. He's stable. Potentially, you could call him trustworthy. It'd be a loose label of trustworthy, but you could potentially call him trustworthy because he is a veteran. You know what you're going to get out of Colt McCoy. Don't really know what you're going to get out of a rookie. He has never really seen a true NFL defense, never played extended snaps with ones. I don't think he's played any snaps in games with ones this offseason so far. So a very raw rookie, very raw prospect, needs a lot of molding. But, but, look at Toon's profile. 95th percentile speed score, 83rd percentile agility score, 60th percentile college QBR, nothing fancy but effective. 53rd percentile college yards per attempt. So, again, this is a raw passer with a pure athletic profile. Large frame, and he has more of a Konami build than Colt McCoy had in his wildest dreams. So we have an offense that is molded after Kyler Murray. We have a head coaching staff that wants to do a better job at providing Kyler Murray with what he needs to succeed. And that starts with everyone being familiar with the game plan. When Colt McCoy subbed in in the middle of the season for Kyler Murray, albeit it's always tough for a backup quarterback to step in that late in the season. There's a lot of continuity that isn't able to be made with the, you know, obviously your starting quarterback getting all of the reps with the starters when you're playing real games. So Colt McCoy coming in, he was never going to look great. This team was already kind of lost. And you flip the script on that in year two. Kyler Murray looks to come back at some point this season. Do they want their starters playing with a dink and dunk veteran immobile QB in Colt McCoy? And then all of a sudden you have to regain plan. You have to introduce new aspects to the offense. It, this is 
it gets complicated. And this is not something, the lack of continuity is something that Arizona experienced last season. And we all saw how it went for him. We all saw what Colt McCoy offered. He was not a better performer than undrafted free agent David Blatt out of Purdue. Boiler up. So it's not ridiculous to say this team, who, by the way, may very well under the cur- under the covers be okay with losing a lot of games this season, regardless of whether or not Murray returns. So a sneaky tank team could very well be okay with throwing this raw, inexperienced rookie out to the wolves because what's on the other side? Marvin Harrison Jr.? Uh a locked in, you know, top offensive tackle trading back, earning more capital. They're going to own two of the top, potentially two of the top picks next season. And while many can say they'll ship Kyler Murray and restart, many will also say two top first round picks for a team with a franchise quarterback, offensive weapons, and uh, a defense that needs a lot of work is a, a core that's worth pushing the chips in on. So while, and do we think Jonathan Gannon is the type that wants to do some sort of full rebuild? No, I, I believe he took that job knowing the situation with Kyler Murray coming from the locker room in Philadelphia. He's, he's likely much more mature, likely able to see the laughing stock that was Cliff Kingsbury and say, look, this is a situation where I can turn this around because it's a Brian Dable situation, right? There's there's a core there. You need somebody who's an actual leader of men to step in and, and guide this team. And that's what I think is going to happen in Arizona. They're going to be a competitive team in the near future. They are not rebuilding. And they might stink this year. But I do believe Clayton Toon is, is going to start some games before Kyler Murray returns, whether it's week one or not. Let's play a fun little game here. So I have two sets of college stats. It's a little bit, it's a harder to see than I would have imagined. I, I should have blown this up a little bit more, but I'll, I'll, I'll verbally go over them. Quarterback A, freshman year, going down through senior year, 2,500, 3,300, 3,800, and 3,500 passing yards. So career high, 3,800 passing yards. Career high, 8.9 yards per attempt. Career high, 77% completion percentage. Career high, 34 touchdowns. On 430 pass attempts that that career season that we just rattled off here in the junior year. Quarterback two, didn't really play as a freshman. And then sophomore year down, 2,000, 3,500, and 4,000 passing yards. Career high, 4,000 passing yards. Career high, 8.4 in a full season yards per attempt. Career high, 68% completion percentage. And career high, 40 touchdowns with a 500 rushing yard season. Each quarterback with a 500 rushing yard season. One was highly touted NFL prospect Colt McCoy. He was quarterback A. He's who you see on top. And quarterback B is Clayton Toon. More career-high passing yards in a single season as a college quarterback. More career-high passing touchdowns in a single season. 
And the only thing that you can really scoff at is the completion percentage. 68% career high. But in two years as a full-fledged starter, he was at 68 and 67%. He made some massive improvements at Houston. And outside of an outlier 77% completion percentage season, that's around the 68% range is around where he was as a quarterback for the rest of his tenure in college. So Clayton Toon, when you watch the film on him, he looks solid. He looks like he has the tools. He, he'll give the offense life. He'll be able to run around. He'll be able to give the offense continuity in an offense centered around a mobile quarterback with an arm. He can fire the ball downfield. He's got to work on his deep ball accuracy, but what rookie quarterback doesn't need to work on that type of placement? This is a very Mills-esque scenario where although Mills was not a mobile quarterback, he was a late-round quarterback who was thrust into a role and became fantasy relevant. So this is a situation to monitor. It's going to be very easy. The media outlets are going to put the Clayton Tune hype to rest as quickly as they can because it's easy. It's easy to say Colt McCoy is going to be the starter because he's the veteran. It, it's it's the more likely scenario, but the real scenario to prepare for is when Clayton Toon starts week one. Moving on to Jackson Smith and Jigba, a little injury news. JSN is having surgery on a broken wrist and he will be out three to four weeks. Week one is now a question mark. Sorry to clear a little catch in my throat. If this means what I think it means, it means we might get a last-minute draft day discount on Jackson Smith and Jigba, and let me tell you, that will be sweet. If it happens, which I'm not 100% sure it will, we got, we'll have to monitor the market. If it happens, if there's any sort of value in any of your drafts on JSN, hit the button. This is not an injury to be concerned about. Fairly low re-injury risk. That's coming from certified, not a doctor. But you think about it, you know, broken wrists, these broken bones, they heal. And for him to fracture the same wrist or a different wrist is, you know, the same probability as him fracturing it the first time. So it's not something we have to be concerned about. And he's currently going at ADP of 56 wide receiver 30 on underdog drafts being drafted near Chris Godwin and his teammate, Tyler Lockett. With what we've seen from JSN this preseason, I, I know I'm starting to sound like it hyping up Clayton tune and talking about how good JSN looks in preseason, but we have to, we have to monitor who looks pro-ready and who doesn't. Zay Flowers looks pro-ready. I'm not going to push the narrative too much, but Quentin Johnston doesn't really look pro-ready. JSN looks pro-ready. CJ Stroud maybe looks pro-ready. Bryce Young does not look pro-ready. Aiden O'Connell looks pro-ready. It's not about the plays they make necessarily. It's not about JSN breaking a long reception. It's how fluid he looks in his routes. It's how he's composing himself, his confidence out on the field. You know, if, if he makes a mistake, does he make up for it? We saw Jalen Hyatt have a bad drop and then come right back out, burn his man deep, and catch his first touchdown in the NFL. 
it's moments like that that are really big for rookies in the preseason. Those are the things to pay attention to. And we haven't seen a lot of those moments from Quentin Johnson. So, again, not trying to push the agenda too much, but just just trying to to give insight on on what needs to be what is noise and what is signal in in preseason and how pro ready these rookies look right away is is a signal and how they're going to perform early on. And if Tyler Lockett starts being drafted above Jackson Smith and Jigba, then that's where we draw the line. It it, it could be a close race, but when we think of terms of 16 game upside, when when JSN has, you know, 12, 13 games of experience in, he's he's deepened his connection with Geno Smith. Tyler Lockett has to take a beating of another full season. It, we're going to, we are probably going to be seeing 30 point JSN weeks in the fantasy playoffs and you can either be on board or you can have it happen against you. So it, it's up to you. It's what you want to do. Drafting some of these rookies in the middle rounds of fantasy drafts is just one of the biggest cheat codes because I mean, they, they generally, the ones who hit hit pretty big, Olave, Wilson, Chase, we see it over and over again. So if these first round rookies are going to hit, they're going to hit big, which is why we're pushing the chips in on JSN. We're pushing the chips in on Zay Flowers. Jordan Addison, who looks pro ready too, we're pushing the chips in on him. So get those guys while you can. Speaking of drafts, it is draft season. And, you know, we're, we're hitting here. It's August 23rd with with the, the playing of this recording. So why, what what better time than right now to to talk about I finally found it in StreamYard. I was stalling to talk about the draft kit. Hey, it's the Podfather of great news. The 2023 draft kit is live. It is world famous. Why? Because it is the best resource for winning fantasy football championships that exists. There are rankings and cheat sheets for every format you can imagine. We have projections both at the team level and the player level. And wherever you are, you can click on a player, open them up, and see in-depth written analysis about what to expect in fantasy football from that player this year. And then you can click on the team, and you can get even more in-depth analysis, all the drivers of fantasy production, both in a positive and negative direction for that team, including a signature trend. And the graphics are incredible. So these team insights, they give you the team-level projections, the vacated targets, the vacated areas, and that one dynamic for each team that you need to know when making decisions on draft day. And we added a bunch of features. I mean, individual cheat sheets for Theo and Billy and Dario. So you could take your favorite analyst and download their personal draft cheat sheet. And then in the commissioner's section, also brand new this year, Memphis Young lays out everything you need to know to manage a league, do's, don'ts, tips, and what the more innovative fantasy commissioners are doing this year. That's presented by Trophy Smack. The whole package is presented by the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the FFPC, Ray Garvin, Derek Brown, the best minds in the industry contributing analysis. It's certainly not the most inexpensive draft kit on the market, but uh, <laughs> it is the best. Playerprofiler.com slash draft kit. Playerprofiler.com slash draft kit. Go get it. Go get the world famous draft kit right now. Look, I know I, I I contribute to player profile all the time. Obviously, I'm gonna plug it, but truthfully, there is no better draft kit out there. You, the people who are listening, you know this. 
But the biggest example I have of this is the breadth of knowledge and, and expertise that goes into it. You get literally at every other company, every other draft kit you go get will be siloed to the, the thoughts, analysis, and opinions of those at that company. And player profiler takes that mold and it completely shatters it by getting some of the experts that you heard on Matt Kelly's video. Bob Harris contributes. I I am I'm doing myself a dis I'm doing everyone a disservice by going into the different names because there's so many of them, so many of your favorite player profiler analysts and analysts outside of player profiler. Uh, Andrew Cooper. I, I mean, I could I could sit here. Dave Kluge. I, I could sit here and name names until kingdom come. You should just go get the world famous draft kit and see for yourself all of the different opinions that you can get on 2023 redraft rankings in the world famous draft kit. That and so much more available right now. Go get it and use promo code Jason for ten dollars off on the all in package. I'll always use, I'll always plug Jason's promo code when I'm on his show because I don't have my own um, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the, to the production team behind the scenes there. We need a, we need a third map for a, for a draft kit or a, we need a third map for a promo code. We, we got two. We need a third. All right. Let's move on to Maurice Jones Drew. It's uh it's August, so that's infamously list season where NFL personalities are putting out their their rankings, their lists, what have you. And and Maurice Jones Drew has ranked all 32 RB1s. Excuse me. So I am going to live share my screen here. Where is this tab? Bear with me here. I should have figured this out before I recorded. Oh, boy. The plan was to was to live react. Ah, sorry, I found it. We are going to live react to this list on NFL.com. I have not seen this before. So let's get rid of the overlay. So I've not seen this before. And we're going to re- we're going to react to this list live on the airwaves together. So, number 1 best running back in the game, Christian McCaffrey. I don't think there's much of an argument to that. We start getting into you know the pure runner debate when we start bringing up guys like like Henry or Jacobs or literally anybody else. When you see what McCaffrey has been able to do in the running back position, he's been a cheat code in fantasy and in real life with what he can do in the receiving game and the passing game. Um, in the middle of a, a terrible season in Carolina where he got traded to a new team in the middle of the season, still had 85 receptions, over 700 receiving yards, nearly 1,900 all-purpose yards, and five receiving touchdowns, eight rushing touchdowns, 13 total touchdowns. He is a true workhorse, and until Christian McCaffrey retires or somebody else shows that elite level of dynamism that he is able to be, that he is able to put on display season after season, 
I'm with MJD here, Christian McCaffrey, number one, and I'm with him here at number two in Derrick Henry. We get a sneak peek at who number three is. So Derrick Henry, he is simply defying age, defying the laws of physics. He still shouldn't be this good, but he goes out there and he seems like he gets faster by the season. He gets stronger. His stiff arms get more violent, and he became a better pass catcher as well. 33 receptions last year, nearly 400 receiving yards, and over 1,500 rushing yards. So putting together nearly the same total yards from scrimmage as Christian McCaffrey with the same number of touchdowns. These are two men who have been just shattering expectations season after season and, uh, and through two, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're good on this list so far wrong. All right, let's talk about it. Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb. It's the same reason I'm fading him in fantasy is the same reason. I'm same reason I'm fading him in this list. The man just doesn't catch passes. And so I don't care what the Browns front office is or the coaching staff is saying right now. I don't care what Nick Chubb says he thinks about his receiving rule. We know that every single season with Nick Chubb, if there was a pass catching back on that roster, they were diverting the work to that back. Now, it appears the release, release, lack of signing of Kareem Hunt is more of a demerit on Hunt's talent than it is the talent of, say, Jerome Ford. Or then it is a signal that they want to give Nick Chubb this massive workload in the passing game. Seems more like they just didn't want to pay the guy because they didn't think he was that good anymore. It wasn't worth the cash. They said, we have this Jerome Ford. We have Demetric Felton. If we need a satellite plus, we'll just go to them. We don't need to pay you millions of dollars. And so Nick Chubb, who is a very good pure runner. So let's just let's just read let's first let's just read into what he has to say. So he says, "Chubb was my third ranked RB heading into the 22 season and he again delivered a marvelous campaign, recording a career high in carries." Yeah. Whoa, a career high in carries? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Career high in carries. Who cares? Who cares? It's the same thing we've gotten from him every year. I'll give it to him. He's consistent. But if you're an NFL team in this day and age, you're getting more value out of somebody like Austin Eckler, who's ranked here number four. Now, personally, I don't think either of these two are three and four. The fact that Jonathan Taylor is not on this, and the fact that Jonathan Taylor, because we can see right here at the bottom, we can see who's peeking up at number five, and it's Josh Jacobs. The fact that Jonathan Taylor is not in the top five of this list is everything that's wrong with NFL media. It's recency bias just inflamed. I don't even know. Recency bias gone wild. The fact that he was one of the most prolific prospects to come into this league and then fully delivered 
on the expectations set before him. Excelled as a pass catcher. Excelled as a rusher. Just as good as a pure runner as Nick Chubb. A better pure runner than Austin Eckler. So where is Jonathan Taylor from this list? Not, not even to mention that he has twice, maybe three times the amount of juice left in the tank than either of these two, either of these three, including Josh Jacobs. And while I'm at it, where's Saquon Barkley? You can't convince me Josh Jacobs. I understand that he was the rushing leader last year, okay? I I understand. But no one, no one here, I guarantee you, no one here thinks that Saquon Barkley is not better than these three running backs. I mean, maybe Nick Chubb, but like currently so far, I would be, I would be McCaffrey, Henry, and then I would go Taylor, Saquon, Eckler, Chubb, and then I, th- I think another player who do- who isn't on this list. I'm going to scroll down a little bit. Is is Tony Pollard, and I I I think him and Jacobs are right there at the at the top ten. And so, I think so far this list is just all sorts of wrong. Uh, and then five Josh Jacobs. This is ob- so the, again. Here's everything wrong with it. This is obviously assuming Jacobs ends his holdout and is on the field with the Raiders for majority of the 2023 season. He literally has to play six games to escape, have even the chance of escaping Las Vegas this season. So they're so out out of touch at this point. And it's hilarious because MJD was literally a running back. So being this out of touch as an NFL, former NFL running back is is crazy. It's asinine, but there it is. Uh, and you know he had 340 attempts. It, what was impressive was getting 400 receiving yards on 53 receptions. I think that was a more of a testament to negative game scripts, screens, and checkdowns that he was able to have a lot of yak on uh, generally, you know, not something with, with his profile that's going to stick season over season. So potentially a little bit of a faux career year there in terms of the, in terms of the receiving production. Saquon Barkley it, it, just one of the most, one of the most dynamic backs that we've ever seen. And one of the best talents in the league. Once again, it's just recency bias. He was, you know, this was his you know one year mark after his ACL surgery. He was a he was past a full season returned, and you know he had some problems still with his health, shaken up a bit a few times. But we all know a healthy Saquon Barkley is a top four back in this league, top five easily. And I don't want to hear anything else. So RB seven, we are Kurt. Yeah, this is going to take a lot longer than I had anticipated. Hopefully, we can fly through some of this. I don't want to spend too much time harping on it. But Alvin Kamara, RB7, listed above Jonathan Taylor and Tony Pollard. So he says Kamara suspended for the first three games of the season, violating the league's personal conduct policy. And excuse me if you heard that. I apologize. Rough one tonight. And 
you know, he does have a six consecutive seasons with 1300 plus scrimmage yards. That's, that's very, I'm, I'm stumbling on this one because I, I'm trying to decide whether or not I think Alvin Kamara belongs in the top 10. It's, yeah, I mean he does when you look at it. So I, I I would I would have Taylor and Pollard ahead of Kamara. So in fact, if we if we go off of the list I was going off of before, it would be Pollard at nine and then and then Kamara at ten. So wait, let's 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 quickly re re go over this. We have one, two, then we got Three, four, and that one was tough. Five, six, seven, eight. I think I might have forgotten Eckler. <laughs> I did forget Eckler. The point is, Kamara is 10. And and Chubb is closer to the bottom of the top ten than he is the top to the top to the top of the top ten. So a good amount of this I, I can't necessarily scoff too far at. Too hard at Nick Chubb at three is is absurd. Eckler at four is a bit of a reach. Jacobs at five is a bit of a reach. Barkley at six is undervalued. Taylor at eight is undervalued. Pollard at nine is undervalued. Um Kamara, I did not have these reordered. Yeah, there's no one at 10 because these are there's only nine running backs. Okay. So I, I'm just giving you guys the runaround at this point. This is becoming less of a productive task than I thought it was gonna be. At 10, we have Najee Harris sitting right above J.K. Dobbins. This is interesting. Najee on the surface, when you look at box score stats, is potentially a top 10 back, but in terms of talent, J.K. Dobbins is a more is a more talented rusher. He's not a more talented pass catcher, but Najee's pass catching volume does seem to be more driven off of check down tendencies. Kenny Pickett being uncomfortable and Mitch Trubisky being uncomfortable in, Pit- in Pittsburgh last year and Big Ben in his final season not being able to push the ball downfield, so... I'm I'm not as bought in with Najee's receiving ability given his advanced metrics in that area. And so Dobbins, who I think is a, is clearly a much more effective rusher is, is a more talented rusher and is rounding out my top is actually not rounding up my top 10 because this guy, Brees Hall, Brees Hall is at 14 on his list and he should be 10. Brees Hall is, in terms of prolific college profile, delivering to expectations on an elite level in the NFL, I promise you after this year, he's joining that conversation with Saquon and Jonathan Taylor. He would be already in that conversation if he didn't tear his ACL. All we needed was 16 full games. This man is unreal. We're going to talk about Brees Hall in the next segment very briefly, but this guy is unreal. He's already a top 10 back in the NFL. So he, in my list, would vault up right here at 10, and then it would be Dobbins at 11, and then it's Ramondre Stevenson. Wait, 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 wait. I actually forgot about this guy. 
Travis Etienne belongs in this conversation as well. Travis Etienne is a better running back than Najee Harris. Travis Etienne would push up to 12 in my off the dome ranking. So this is, this is not planned. I did not look at, I, I, I saw this news article before I went live and I, I'm reacting to it live. So, so off the dome rankings, ETN would vault up to 12. ETN is a hyper-efficient rusher. All of the advanced metrics are so far in his favor in rushing as a receiver. He is questionable, but outside of the top 10 to 12 backs, you are either getting a, a pure rusher or a pure receiver. And Travis Etienne fits closer to a pure rusher, but he still has that dynamism. He has been vocal about expanding that part of his, his skill set. And Travis Etienne is certainly a more talented back than, than Damian Pierce. He has proven more than Javante Williams. He's, he's proven similar to J.K. Dobbins, but he is... He is number he's number eleven after Brees Hall. Brees Hall was ten. And and then Dobbins will follow at twelve. Javante at thirteen. They're just kind of all over the place, right? I mean, like we're calling Javante Williams better than Ramondre Stevenson. I, I don't think anyone's seen enough to prove that. Ramondre Stevenson was a top producer last year, just elite in every aspect. 69 receptions, nice, 400, basically 420 receiving yards. I mean, come on. How are we how are we ranking him at 15? He's an efficient rusher, a very talented receiver. And he he's put a full season of that on display while Javante Williams has yet to do so. So we're, we're a little out of place here. Damian Pierce, you know, again, a guy who is a more of a plotter that he's closer to a Najee Harris in terms of a rushing profile. I am not going to continue with this game of putting together my off the dome rankings, but just know that. You know, Dobbins is fairly close to to his value. Najee is overvalued. Damian Pierce is overvalued. Javante Williams is close, but he's slightly overvalued because of guys like Brees Hall, Stevenson, and ETN who need to be vaulted up in terms of these rankings. ETN at 16 is fairly disrespectful. Brees Hall at 14 is getting on the verge of disrespect. Ken Walker at 17 is also disrespectful. Uh, Walker is better than Damian Pierce. He is close to as good, if not better, than Najee Harris. And what I can tell here from MJD is that he's doing a lot of box score watching. He's doing a lot of box score watching. You see RBs with some better box score stats that are finishing ahead. And guys like Joe Mixon, who have been steady producers throughout their entire career, are, are left to the dust. So Mixon at 19, that is too low. He is better than Swift. Mixon is a is a better running back than Damian Pierce. He's a better running back than Najee Harris. Damian Pierce at 12 is just the most ridiculous part of this. And that's just such a massive stretch, uh, especially from somebody who who is supposed to be a former running back and and knows running backs. I mean, this is just this is an appalling list. Madison at 20 is slightly overrated, but that feels pretty, pretty close to correct. Bijan at 21 and Jameer Gibbs at 22. 
Yeah, I mean, that's fair. They're, they're rookies. We haven't seen a lot from them. So to put them over guys like Ken Walker, Joe Mixon, DeAndre Swift is is a bit premature still. Um, when, when we talk about like dynasty value or something like that, that completely changes the conversation. But in terms of who's the best running back right now, uh, it's fair to put them where they're at. And then Aaron Jones at 23. Um, I, I think he would be my firewall here where I would put, well, first of all, Aaron Jones is still better than Alexander Madison. So Madison would be like up at 20 or sorry, Jones would be up at 20 and then Madison and then following up with these guys. I think Madison should be below Robinson and Gibbs already. Um, Madison should be below white. Moster. This is just too high. Um, I mean, Jeff Wilson is just as good and was just as good last season. I don't understand where, where all the love for Raheem Mostert out of nowhere is coming from. Um, Brian Robinson is a plotter. He's, he's vanilla pudding. So at 26, that's, I mean, guys like Cam Akers getting pushed down this list just because they only had 786 rushing yards last season is, is absurd. Pacheco at 27, a little low, but pretty close. Miles Sanders at 30 and James Cook at 31 and James Conner at 32. This is all fairly disrespectful. All of those spots were fairly disrespectful. So this is where he has these running backs to close out his list and running that back with their Underdog ADPs, Miles Sanders, RB21 versus RB30 in this list. James Cook, RB24 versus RB31 in this list. And James Conner, RB26 versus RB32. So there's clearly a, a vast disparity between who the fantasy community thinks is the best running backs this season and who MJD thinks is the best running backs this season. So... To sum that all up, that was just a gosh darn awful list from MJD. Sorry if that was a bit hard to follow. I had a lot of thoughts there as I unpacked that live, but I mean, just a just a horrendous, shameful list that I had a very fun time overreacting to, and, and I hope you did too. I'll, I'll be here to talk about it, about it with you in the comments, hopefully. And finally, we're going to close out the show talking about some hard knocks. Episode three. I literally just watched it right before recording this episode of Wake and Take. I have only one reaction for you. Brees freaking Hall. This man is whew. I know that that's a sus reaction to say, but look, this guy is unreal. You, you know who wasn't practicing in hard knocks because of a shoulder injury? Newly acquired Dalvin Cook. You know who was practicing? Just showing an incredible amount of burst and dynamism and explosive explosiveness. It was Brees Hall. Brees Hall hit 21 miles per hour on a slant route. And the, Robert Sala about creamed his pants. I, I, I about saw it live. I, he, he was, they were just raving about him on the sidelines because this guy is a freak of nature. And any ADP dip 
that has happened on Brees Hall recently, I hope you've been taking advantage of it because his price had already baked in the possibility of Dalvin Cook arriving. And now that he did, this is simply double counting. And so I'm taking, I know it might be dangerous, but I'm taking all of the Brees Hall shares that I possibly can. It's been a long time since Adrian Peterson had his ACL surgery and came back so quickly and, and defied. It, modern medicine advances more in, in a calendar year nowadays than it did in the in the first three to four calendar years after Adrian Peterson tore his ACL. It It is marvelous what they're able to do. Javante Williams had a multi-ligament tear and was out on the field before Brees Hall. This is what modern medicine can do for these young guys who are in shape and their body is capable of, of handling these procedures and recovering from them quickly. And we know so much more about the recovery process that we're able to keep these muscles intact and, and strengthen them at a, at a much faster rate. So uh, I want to quick share just this, this tweet here. We see it's a little bit hard to see, but this gif, I mean, just look at the juice on Brees Hall. He's got so, so much of it and he's going to absolutely dominate this season so you better get him on your fantasy teams hi only plan for doing like a 20 to 30 minute show as i wanted to kind of get to bed but here we are approaching the 45 minute mark once again on wake and take well it's wednesday so that means you can find me on the dynasty roundtable live tonight at a new time 6 p.m central we're live at 6 p.m. Central Time tonight as the Deep End Invitational Day 3 will take our normal time slot. But join myself, Seth Dewald, and Aditya Fuldiore on the Player Profiler YouTube. And you can catch me and Seth every single Wednesday night on the Player Profiler Airwaves Talking Dynasty. And for Player Profiler, for Jason Allwine, for Wake and Take, I'm Matt Babich. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great Wednesday, everyone.